0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, November the 22nd, 2022. One of the great questions, of course, is when do we become what we are when do we grow into our identities we've done a number of shows on this we had a really interesting show with the journalist jonathan darman on when franklin franklin Delano roosevelt fdr became fdr he has a new book out becoming fdr the personal crisis that made a president that defined an identity, that shaped a man and indeed a nation and a world. Sometimes we never quite become who we're supposed to be. We did a show a couple of weeks ago, a wonderful show with Edward Delaney, written a a novel called The Acrobat about Cary Grant. And Cary Grant joked in his own inimicable way, but a very serious joke, that Cary Grant was no more Cary Grant than any of us. The idea of becoming who we are, whether it's Kerry Grant or FDR, is never more important when, uh, when we determine, or when we as critics determine, when a writer becomes a writer. When did Shakespeare become Shakespeare? When did uh, Margaret Atwood become Margaret Atwood? Really interesting questions, and... Uh, we're going to be talking about that today, not about Shakespeare or Atwood, but about Chekhov, uh, Anton Pavlovich Chekhov, one of the most iconic writers um, in the Western tradition. There's a new book out about him. Chekhov Becomes Chekhov. Uh, it's authored by Bob Blaisdell. Uh, he's an academic and writer. He's also the author of Creating Anna Karenina, so he knows a thing or two about Russian literature, late 19th century, early 20th century Russian literature. And he's joining us today from New York City. Bob, welcome and congratulations on the new book.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew.
0: Writing about Chekhov, of course, must be rather daunting as a writer. This idea of Chekhov, though, becoming Chekhov. um, What does that mean? I mean, it's a wonderful title and we all kind of know what it means, but uh what was the final Chekhov in your mind did Chekhov ever really become Chekhov Bob? so there's an actual
1: reason that he did become Chekhov in these two years when he he had, he was twenty five when eighteen eighty six started and shortly became twenty six and uh, he had realized um in eighteen eighty-five that he was famous, um, but not as Chekhov. He was famous as Antosha Chehonte And that literary Petersburgers were reading him. He hadn't known that. He was he had just become a doctor in 1884. And he would he had written comic pieces mostly for humor magazines in Moscow and Petersburg. Uh, and in the December of 85, he went to Petersburg where he was hosted and toasted by uh, the literati. And when he got back to Moscow, uh, he was offered the opportunity to publish um, stories of whatever length he wanted in, in a uh, respected newspaper literary section. And on condition he was very pleased because it would pay much more, and he was supporting his parents and younger siblings. Um, he he wanted to keep his name Anton Chekhov for his doctor work. He did not think he would keep writing.
0: Yeah, as he um, as he said, uh, medicine is my lawful wife, and literature is my mistress. Uh, my not my mistress, my mistress only. A- yes. So Maybe Chekhov could have put it in those words. Yeah, Bob, but, but let's just stand back a little bit. you jumped in with perhaps a little bit more detail. Not everybody, of course, knows about the life of Chekhov. Just give us some background in terms of dates and lead us to this critical two or three years when Chekhov becomes Chekhov. So tell us when he was born, where he was born. Give us some biographical color here.
1: You're right. Thank, thank you. So um, he was born in 1860. Um, that was the same year um, that the serfs were freed in Russia, uh, which is significant because his father had been born a serf. Uh, Chukov's grandfather was um, a serf, an educated serf who, uh, in the south of Russia, who was enough of what Chukov called a, a slave driver that he was able to earn enough money as a serf to buy his children, and his wife, and himself out of out of serfdom, and so um, Chekhov's father uh, was educated as well and became a an unsuccessful merchant in the port town of Taganrog um, on the Sea of Azov, and that's where Chekhov grew up. Uh, his father was. Father uh, went bankrupt and took um, Chekhov's siblings. A couple of his older brothers were already in Moscow. His father left Chekhov, who was 16, in Taganrock to support himself and finish high school and also keep watch on some of the property that uh, the father had left. And so, when... uh, Bob, but,
0: but, but, but let me jump in here. I mean, obviously, there sure. are lots of too implicit or ex- explicit comparisons with slavery in the United States and the end of serfdom in Russia. In your mind, are they in any way equivalent? I mean, obviously, Chekhov wasn't black, and the foundations of serfdom was not race, but are there equivalences? There, there's.
1: They're not equal. Um there was, uh, serfdom was not as bad as slavery, but it was more pervasive. So a greater part of the population were serfs and it wasn't by, it wasn't by color. Um, it, it's so, there are different phenomena um, in their But place. it was
0: still quite, I mean, this was fairly unusual wasn't it for in the space of two generations well particularly unusual for in a a space of a couple of generations for a, a former serf to buy themselves out of serfdom and then to build a if not an aristocratic family certainly a family that looks at least from the photos to be reasonably distinguished him and his brothers educated erudite able to travel so this was this was unusual wasn't it
1: this was extremely unusual, and he was he was aware of how dynamic how dynamically things had changed since since that time, and the possibility of becoming middle class in that short time. Um, he and his brothers thought their father was a tyrant, and he was, but when they met their grandfather, they realized uh their grandfather was. A much more brutal tyrant. And the one thing their father gave them was, was the whole family was education. Um, and that, that led them all into Chekhov, dragged them into middle-class and then uh, upper middle-class life where they could buy a dacha,
0: where they, where they could vacation like, right, and if I was to, and, and this is not an area I know a great deal about, although I've, I've read most of these Russian writers, if I was to guess of 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 a family that a couple of generations earlier would have been part of the serf, uh, I wouldn't have guessed it would have been Chekhov. I would have guessed perhaps Dostoevsky more. I mean, Chekhov is such a a noble writer. Is 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 that wrong? Is that Oh, that's very, uh,
1: that's very good, Andrew. He is, he is noble, but uh, he had to, as he said, he had to squeeze the blood of a, of a serf out of himself drop by drop,
0: which is something his father... How do you do that? How do you squeeze the blood? I love how you put it, but how do you squeeze the blood of your own blood out and replace the blood of a slave with the blood of a nobleman?
1: He was he was he was rigorous. So, people who knew him um, remarked on his composure. He was the only one in his family uh, who never exploded. Everybody else was explosive. He, he, he
0: looks. He has a he has such an aristocratic appearance. But I guess again, it was Chekhov becoming Chekhov. He knew what he was doing, and 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 so.
1: If we could jump back to that year of 1886, uh, to publish in this more prestigious newspaper, the publisher said, now you gotta publish as Anton Chekhov. The, the name he was trying to keep reserved for his professional career. And, and that so is literally how he became the Chekhov that we know. Um, we would have known him anyway, if he'd kept the pen name, Antosha Chehonte.
0: What about his ability, uh, Bob? You've, you've, you're a literary scholar, so as much as a biographer. Um, when did he realize that he, he, he had such a remarkable skill, a genius for writing, for observing, for short stories and for, for plays? I think it was in these years when he was given the opportunity
1: to, to write as much as he wanted um, because he'd been limited by the by the humor magazine format, and then for a very for another magazine for another newspaper, writing very short stories. But uh, this this conservative newspaper owner let him do whatever he wanted, and gave him as much space as he wanted, um, as often as he wanted, and that's where he. I, I he felt his oats and he he became that writer the, the stories from these two years I noticed because there's there's so many he wrote 110
0: real short stories in these two it's years. astonishing it's demoralizing yeah. for anyone who wants <laughs> to be a writer it, um, it is and he well, never one wrote. doesn't think mm-hmm. of uh, shekhov as a political writer but how important were the was the political climate in the 1990s, a time of great unrest and uncertainty?
1: So uh, this, in the 1890s, um, this is where he, he, in the 1880s, when he first started working for this newspaper and the, and the literary publisher, um, the publisher was conservative and uh, Chekhov got a little bit of grief from his friends. How can you possibly write for this right-wing guy who became Chekhov's best friend? Um, And the real reason was that he gave him all the room he wanted, and he never censored Chekhov. He found room writing for this man um, until uh, the, the late 1890s, when the anti-Semitism and the right wing outlook from that newspaper made Chekhov mostly break off with a man who had been very important to him.
0: But Chekhov was never, and I use this word carefully infected with, certainly with Bolshevism or or, or the sort of the, the, the anarchy, the the violent anarchism of the, the Slavophiles, was he?
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, he was, he, he didn't like to put in politics into the stories. Um, the, the characters, some of them are quite political, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't favor conservatives over liberals. There are there are young budding communists in his stories, and he's understanding and sympathetic. As long as this the particular characters are under are sympathetic, so he he is not very political and yet he did draw lines and when his right. when his friend uh, allowed the newspaper to publish lies about the Dreyfus case, he said that's it, that's it. no more and uh, they didn't completely cut each other off, but Chekhov didn't write anymore for you.
0: He's certainly less political than some of the other writers of he's, uh, he's the age. Um, he, he, you wrote um, also uh, creating Anna Karenina. Here we have a photograph of uh, Chekhov with Tolstoy in 1900. Was Tolstoy... I mean, they, they were... They were on good terms, but was do you think of him as his as Chekhov's antithesis in terms of literary style and identity? Given that Tolstoy wrote these thousand-page novels and, and Chekhov was a master of the short story, um,
1: I don't think of them as uh, as being the antithesis of each other. Um, for one thing, uh, as as a friend of mine said, everybody who was writing in Tolstoy's time, was under the influence of Tolstoy. Um, And in this period, uh, Chekhov, Chekhov found out that Tolstoy wanted to meet him. And Chekhov knew he was still under the influence of Tolstoy. Chekhov didn't go to meet Tolstoy until he was clear. He felt clear of Tolstoy's literary influence. And then they became instant friends. Uh, Tolstoy had been reading Chekhov. And Chekhov, of course, had grown up on Tolstoy. Uh, They loved each other and uh, respected each other and confided in one another. And Tolstoy was very severe when he was critical of Chekhov's plays, for instance, um, which Chekhov took Took well. Chekhov never. Chekhov was very proud of his work, but he never um,
0: talked. Uh, he never talked it up. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 a aston- The whole story is astonishing. Um, did Chekhov think of himself as part of a tradition, a school? I mean how did he think of himself say for example in the context of the the social realist tradition of maxim gorky and the other russian writers trying to focus on social realism he he was in his own way a realist is that fair
1: it's fair that he's a realist um he but he did not see himself in any in any tradition um besides that he liked to joke that he wished he was known for having written Anna Karenina. That would be fine with him. Where would you position him? What tradition? Or did he invent his own? I, I think he, I think that's what we all recognize when we meet Chekhov for the first time. This that he's been imitated ever since. Um, half of American fiction, half of British fiction, maybe after Chekhov in short stories, as they've been Chekhovian. Um, There wasn't anything like it. Um, Now, he sometimes wrote stories in the vein of Tolstoy, sometimes reminiscent of Pushkin, but he made something new and different, which made him insecure. He thought it was something it wasn't recognizable. It wasn't special. He thought he would be remembered for maybe seven years after he died. He did not think he was, he really didn't think he was special. In his own time, amongst his contemporaries in, the, in this 1886, 87, he saw one uh, contemporary who was, he thought was on his level or that Chekhov hoped he was on Korolenko's level. But Chekhov, much,
0: much greater. Well, uh, Bob, was well, in, in terms of Chekhov becoming Chekhov, there's obviously the content, but also the form um, and particularly the form of the, the short story is the three year period that you really focus on in the book. Is that when he becomes convinced of the. Um, of of his ability to master this new form, I mean, it wasn't a new form, but as you were saying, he in many ways invented certainly the modern short story. Um, right.
1: Uh, remind me now. What was the question?
0: A, <laughs> in the period when you're writing, when Chekhov becomes Chekhov, when he understands who he is and where he wants to be, how, how much of this was bound up in his recognition that he was pioneering a new form of literature, the short story? <laughs>
1: I I don't think he expected anybody to follow what he did. Uh, There was a kind of rigor that he, he, as a mentor, he mentored writers his own age. He mentored his oldest brother and uh, we learn a lot. Many, many people love Chekhov's letters sensibly because um, he's speaking just one-to-one and, He's very sharp with his friends and his brothers. And uh, a lot of it is about advice about writing and the rigor and the being truthful to the complications of human life. Um, He didn't let his friends off the hook. Um, He didn't let his brothers off the hook. There was a intensity that he expected and a, and an honesty and a freshness that when he didn't see it, he was very direct. And with his friends, he was funny. And with his brothers, he was sharp as you can only be with your siblings.
0: And then of course, there's love and marriage. He was married uh, in 1901. Here we have an image for people watching with his newly, uh, his new wife, uh, Olga. Uh, in 1901 he writes about romance a lot of his his material, his stories are about love. How did this play out in terms of the three-year period when Chekhov became Chekhov? Um, he accidentally
1: accidentally jokingly got himself engaged and um, he never came close to getting engaged again until he he met and fell in love with Olga Knipper, who was an actress performing in his plays. Uh, he met her in 1899. And, um, they developed their romance, but he, he more or less gave up on the possibility of marriage until he met her after his kind of joking engagement um, with a very interesting woman named Dunya Efros. And they, they were on again, off again, like high school students for the next several months. Um, and then he, he broke it off kind of the way a high school boy might, um, but they remained friends. Chekhov remained friends with all of, his, all of his girlfriends, all of his lovers, um, which says,
0: I'm not sure what it says, Andrew, but it says something. There, there was something um you know Tolstoy writes about himself and is presented as a saint, although he wasn't there's something saintly about Chekhov something almost otherworldly isn't there i that's that's nice i agree that's
1: even though he was an atheist um he is so sympathetic to people with actual religious belief and practice he he didn't he didn't like hypocrites. He shows them up in stories and plays, of course. Um, but uh, one of the, the best stories he wrote in this time is called Easter Eve. And it's it's about uh, a, a priest who wrote hymns of praise. And I realized that that's what Chekhov did. Um, he wrote stories, hymns of praise of good and troubled people, Um, he found something that made them human and understandable. And there was something of him, there was something of him in all of those people.
0: And how much of that was bound up in him being a doctor and understanding people at their weakest, seeing their suffering? Of course, in 18. Ninety, He went to Sakhalin Island, just yes. north of Japan. He spent three months interviewing thousands of convict, convicts mm-hmm. and settlers. He was introduced to enormous suffering. But did that come, in part at least, from his experience as a doctor? We've, we've had a couple of people on the show, doctors, full-time physicians who have written novels, and they seem to bring something to fiction which others can't.
1: He he certainly brought his his medical tact. Um, he was known as a doctor for for listening for listening. And um, he's when you read the stories, you notice that people are being described uh, sometimes internally in a way that without without medical knowledge, I don't think you could do. Um, he does, he does it subtly, he doesn't show off the, the medical practices, he doesn't let us get distracted by, by special knowledge, but there's things that only he knew as a doctor that bring out the internal emotional states of the people.
0: Bob, um... There are going to be many people in the audience who aspire, if not to become Chekhov, certainly to become published writers, and they're struggling perhaps with realising whoever they are uh, and becoming whoever they are. Is there anything in Chekhov's life that we mere mortals can learn? Nobody else could ever become Chekhov, of course, but we can all aspire to be something. What are the broader lessons do you think of your book and of of the particular period you've studied in Chekhov's life that could help others, particularly aspiring writers? So, of course, he he answered aspiring writers' letters. And
1: what he liked to say was, you know, write two or 300 stories and get back to me. Uh, Because that's what he had done. He had written hundreds of stories and skits. Easier said than done, Bob, right? (laughs) Well, except when he was writing these stories, he could also remind people, you know, I was also a full-time doctor. I was also supporting my family. So he doesn't, through his own example, uh, he doesn't let us have any excuses. And, and that's a reason I like to recommend people read any volume of his, of his letters. Um, He doesn't, he doesn't let us, he doesn't let himself have excuses. Even though in these years, um, he already had tuberculosis. He already knew he was gonna die of tuberculosis sooner or later. He didn't give himself that excuse. Uh, he didn't like that his closest brother, who was an artist, did give himself that excuse. What do you expect of me? I'm like, I've am i got tuberculosis and Chekhov, well, we're still here, and there was time. There was time.
0: Finally, Bob, um, it's a remarkable story and a, and, a, and a wonderful book. What uh, you, Chekhov becomes Chekhov, your new book, it's just out. The okay. emergence of a literary genius. Much has been written about, of course, about Chekhov. Many other books, many other biographies and literary studies. Mm-hmm. Is there anything about this book that you think can or should change how we think about Chekhov. Is there anything about this book that you're saying that hasn't been said before?
1: I I think there's things that haven't
0: been said before because I'd been
1: reading about Chekhov for 40 years and I hadn't realized how, how closely tied he was uh, in these very productive years to the calendar and, and writing like a, in some way, being aware of the calendar the way a professional freelance writer is. So writing Christmas stories at Christmas, writing winter stories through winter, writing uh, Lent stories and Easter stories, summer stories. So writing through the year and seeing the speed at which he was writing. So he was writing maybe like two weeks ahead of like the calendar. I hadn't realized that. I hadn't read the stories in order uh, because for the most part, we don't read Chekhov in the order that he wrote the stories. Um, we, we don't have to, but when having done that, I, I and I hope the readers will see um, in some way what a workman he was and how, how professional he was while also creating, about half the time, uh, real art. It's a miracle.